Welcome to Not A Real Artist, a podcast by me, Iris Fritchie-Cousins, and me, Tamara Sagaveven, discussing relatable creative topics with honesty and humour. In this fourth episode, Women Who Art Too Much, we discuss our experience of being women who create art, and how our art is shaped and influenced by those experiences. We hope you enjoy the podcast. A quick editor's note before we start. This episode has a number of content notices. These are infertility, miscarriage, and sexual abuse. We hope this knowledge enables you to make safe choices for yourself. Women who art too much. I just want to go straight in and talk about this title because it tickles me so much. Um, Because like to me, it's about, you know, what women do when they make art. But it also, you know, if you're thinking about it a bit more in a Shakespearean language way, it's like women who are too much, which is also a thing right I, so, I didn't think of it that way that's really oh I'm glad I said it then because like to me it was so obvious and I was like oh gosh if I'm gonna talk about this people are gonna go like oh duh so I'm glad you know you're like my sample size one research uh, <laughs> uh you know pool so I'm glad I said it so tell me what you think about your about your idea about women who art too much or <laughs> well about either just about like the the, the title and what that means well, in, in both contexts to me i when when we worked on the title i was being a little bit mm, facetious maybe because there's this book called women who love too much and i don't know whether it's of value or not but it's been suggested to me so many times by well-meaning not meaning well people that i just associate it with nonsense and again i haven't read the book so this is a very poor judgment to be making yeah, um, but and that's you should I'm... definitely judge things by their title i mean that's what we're <laughs> hoping that you'll do here and decide to decide to listen so <laughs> well and that's why i was like women who are too much like women who love too much you know uh, mm-hmm. that was kind of my thinking but i really prefer the shakespearean angle because it works t- two ways yeah and it's funny you've already immediately brought up that point because it isn't just us making a funny title. It's literally a thing that happens about where we are seen as women. Um, and oh, can I just say in advance that when I say women, I mean it in the most inclusive way. Yeah. Like I want to explicitly say that. So that it, there's a thing from outside ourselves, like, you know, oh, don't love too much. Don't be too much, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a thing that echoes that from the inside of like, oh, gosh, I can't be too much. Can't make make this art or... Uh, I don't know, for me, let me talk about it for me personally, because I think that when you look at my art now, it's very kind of raw and out there. And um, sometimes it's kind of ugly and uh, as well. And it's quirky. And it took me a long time to feel like I was allowed to do that because it felt like it was too not feminine enough, I guess. Do you, because your art yeah. is also quite, it's not feminine either, if I may say that. And and how is was that a negotiation for you to get to that point to feel like okay you can paint butts and eyeballs and penises and not feel like you have to paint flowers or pretty things or that kind of thing? Well, I, it was something I was pondering uh, recently. Like, when did I make the transition from like pretty to the weird and and, and stupid um, mm-hmm. or raw or whatever vulgar? 
And I feel that it, it was difficult in the sense that I did need somebody who I trusted, who was like a mental figure, <laughs> art coach. Um, I, I don't know if you know, my art coach was uh, Iris from Iris Impressions. <laughs> and once you kind of gave me that permission to kind of, because I said to you, like, I really want to paint penises. I think that's what I said, mm-hmm. something along that lines. And you're like, hmm, and then paint it. And then that's all I needed to kind of go from pretty paintings to that. And I I don't really, besides permission, I haven't been able to put it into, into words yet. Um, but I do know that I was painting these pretty things because other people were teaching me to paint pretty things. Um, yes. And I don't know why. Like, I feel like I know why. <laughs> but yeah. I don't fully know why we're painting or we're all drawn to these pretty things. I think it's because of the male gaze. I think it's so ingrained into us that we have learned to paint this way. We've learned that uh, women need to paint feminine traits, um, things like softness, graciousness, and all of these things. And again, I'm not slagging off anybody's art, right? Paint what makes you happy, but Mm -hmm. also analyze why you're doing it. And I think that's why we're seeing... uh, Have you ever seen a little girl with like, big full lips and full eyelashes and like I haven't because little girls don't look that way yeah um it's a sexualized version of a child oh yeah like very lolita-esque actually yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I I that's why I believe we're all painting that and I know you might be Hmm. Not all of us, again, because I'm yeah. going like okay, to like, um, uh, Yeah, all the caveats, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I I think that the, the reason I was uncomfortable painting certain things in these feminine characters was because I was so aware of what it meant to me. Um, oh, that's so interesting, because I've never had that, uh, uh, that concern, um, which is interesting, and it makes me question myself, actually, like, why was that invisible to me? Why was this kind of sexualized, dull representation of pretty girls, why did that not s- jump out to me? How very interesting. Oh, I'm so uh, I'm so brainwashed. I've obviously taken well, the blue pill. <laughs> I, uh. I, I wouldn't say you're brainwashed. I think you're <laughs> one of the, the least washed people. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because of my experiences, yeah, because of the gender-based violence community that I, I, I've been brought up in, or country, whatever. We have one of the worst uh, statistics in the world. But um, maybe it's also because I have two like nieces that I'm very kind of like hyper aware of how they look and what they wear because I understand how culture wants them to be. Yeah. Um, and we're go- getting a bit off topic here, but. Like saying to a little kid, like, oh, you look very sexy today. That's not okay. Oh, no, that is Um, not okay. Well, some people don't seem to know that. And uh, that's when I saw these girls and I saw also how attracted people were to them. I thought it's not necessarily because it's like piercing something in your childhood. Like, you know, I wanted to be a little girl safe in someone's arms. I think the visual is very different. I think it's because we've been brought up to, to want to be pretty, to want to be older, to want to be desirable. And also, I think for me, a big part of it is, yeah, what you say, to be desirable, but also to be accepted. Because I think that making art is hugely vulnerable. It's like you are creating an expression of yourself. Whether you are doing art like what I do, which is raw and emotional, or whether you're not doing that, it's still a very vulnerable expression. I think that wanting to be accepted, wanting to be liked... 
And I think that is especially a feminine trait um, of, mm. you know, you just want people to like you because it. I think it feels almost physically painful, um, at least to me, when I get exposed to people who don't like me or who are critical of me or, or things like that. And, and wanting to avoid that at all costs is something that was basically what my life was built around. So to then say like, oh, well, you can paint anything you want. Well, no, I couldn't paint anything I wanted. I had to paint what would get me liked or not negatively noticed, I guess. What I feel you're saying is no matter the end product or the end painting, uh, whether it's graphic or not or beautiful or not, it's still a vulnerable process here. Yes. That's part one. But the second part is it's much easier to get this acceptance and people to like your work if it looks the way that we all feel it should look feminine and graceful and pretty and soft. Yeah. Okay. And hmm, do you think that it's also uh, because we've been conditioned to believe that these are acceptable things or, or pretty things that we feel also accomplishments when it looks pretty and cute. Yeah, and I I wonder how much of that is a physical, like, um, what do you call it? Like a mental, like a thing that is just because our brains are wired to enjoy symmetry. And like, I mean, as in like a, just a, a primeval thing, I guess. How much is it... Uh, nature and how much is it nurture how much is it society that tells us okay if we see something that looks well put together and pretty and understandable and not scary uh it means it's good and when it's not then it's bad and we see it so often because it reminds me actually of a critique that i often see about villains how villains like for example in james bond films uh, they have been critiqued uh, by always having uh, something ugly or a disability. And that it's kind of like that this um, concept of the bad gets conflated with the ugly or the disabled or the kind of like the non-norm uh, of, I don't know, smooth skin, beauty ideal, or you know. Uh, I, I find that really interesting. It's the same, I would say, in, in, in Disney, yeah? The characters yeah, I was just thinking about Disney. Dark. Yes, let's talk about Disney. <laughs> <laughs> so the villains are either of darker skin tone, um, fat, that's also a... Queer-coded. Queer, definitely queer-coded. Ursula is a big, good example of all... Ursula and Scar. <laughs> yeah. I never realized that. No wonder he is so attractive. Um, <laughs> I have to credit my friend Avery here because they do a uh, they've done a talk on queer coding in Disney. So most of my knowledge of queer coding in Disney comes from my friend Avery's talk. So just like a little okay. uh, <laughs> credit there. The, the, I'm actually going to write that down because it would be nice to watch some of uh, Scar's I don't know clubs or excerpts with that knowledge and and try and say yeah okay that was definitely correct. Um, and because we see these things in, in Bollywood movies, that's also a good example. The villains are also um, darker skinned, even though we are a dark group of people, um, darker skinned and they have um, asymmetrical features. So, so the, whatever is different and then different also meaning bad, basically. Yeah. But what's interesting to me, and I, I, I don't want to just like make everything about like the Western lens or colonialism and racism and whatever. But unfortunately, a lot of these things are, are linked. 
But for me, there are dark characters in, in we have a long history of arts, like in, in the Indian culture now. Mm-hmm. And they are, dark characters are beautiful and they're all different skin colors and not all of them are symmetrical. Yeah, they might have symmetrical heads and hands and shapes and stuff, but it is not um, the, the usual standard of beauty that you would see. And it changed as time went on, depending on who the ruling power was. And for a long time, of course, they did not rule themselves as people. They were ruled by uh, Iris, your your uh, country, and mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not Netherlands. <laughs> You can cut that out. That sounds so better. And it kind of changed with that. So I I hear what you're saying. Like maybe there definitely is something that prefers symmetry and and we find it beautiful. But I think that it's been so many like hundreds of years of like brainwashing and fighting. um, that You can't separate them. Yeah. Like life is easier for you. This is my experience, right? All that people wanted me to do was stay out of the sun and lose weight. Because my life would have been much easier. And I think that's why we kind of, and and you made the point, is maybe that's why people are drawing these kinds of things. Because then it's accepted, like life imitating art. (sighs) I don't know. I feel like I just got really worked up for a second (laughs) whenever I mention Great Britain. (laughs) To be honest, I think this episode and this topic, it, it is about getting worked up about because it is a political subject it is a subject of oppression and so yeah i i don't think this is the this is not the happy la 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 episode uh where we talk about la 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 pretty flowers you know it's like it's a real topic that that is uncomfortable so yeah i mean like switch off now if you're not there for that you've probably already switched off so (laughs) glad that you're still here we've lost all our british uh british listeners (laughs) can we talk about um taking ourselves seriously because i think that that also has something to do with how we're viewed as women women presenting people well there's there's many ways we can view taking ourselves seriously so the thing that immediately comes to mind there's two things it's um household duties or the split of household duties or familial duties and Mm -hmm. unpaid labor type of thing emotional yeah it's definitely unpaid unpaid labor it's like being a project manager in a place where people just don't listen um so (laughs) Um, and the second portion is money for me. So taking ourselves seriously in terms of, um, and, and I don't know how else to say it besides the household duty. So I'm talking about chores, cleaning, cooking, all that stuff. And yes, it is a form of procrastination to want to cook and clean before you do art. But I also think that sometimes we don't take ourselves seriously as, as artists and we decide that this is something that kind of, I, I don't know, like if, if, when my job, when I was working at my at my old job, there's no way in hell that I would go and fold the dishwasher instead of doing my report. But now it's become so much more easy. And it's not about having flexibility. It's about taking what I do seriously. And now it's like, oh, I should fold the dishwasher first. Yes, sometimes it's procrastination, but I think it's also not yeah, taking myself seriously. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I really understand what you're saying. So, um, Everybody procrastinates. That is like that crosses all genders. But 
what do how do we procrastinate and how does it affect our self view because this type of procrastination that you're talking about it isn't oh you're going to play a game on your phone uh, or you're going to scroll on social media it's this feeling that is the obligation of no i should be doing this housework uh, because that is more valuable for me as a female person to be doing um than this art that i have chosen to do um and yeah and it's it's kind of like oh it reminds me of the of the difference between a kind of like a a masculine or a feminine uh, viewpoint i guess that when you said that when it was your job um you know as an analyst that you would be writing a report you wouldn't be loading the dishwasher um I don't know. I don't feel like I have a conclusion, but it feels as if like you were engaged in a more kind of masculine way of working, uh, whereas this is a more feminine way of working. And as soon as you open up this more feminine way of working, then you also have to contend with all of the ways in which you feel like you need to act or perform in order to be a good woman, I guess. So you you blew my mind like that's why I that I was miming blowing my mind like poof, I have to make the sound too I I never viewed it like that but I think it makes sense of like before we started speaking I said I'm a little bit nervous because I feel I only like very recently and I still don't fully understand but came into this role of being a woman and it was one of the things that I was working on because my feminine aspects were very I don't know where they were what they were doing they were chilling somewhere else um, and that's such a such a cool way to put it that maybe it's easier for me to also do that because this is a slightly more uh feminine feminine way of being uh i just need to think about that for yeah a and i sometimes feel like that um masculine modalities i guess are sometimes so much easier to inhabit than feminine ones i feel like with feminine ones there's much more like negotiation and balance and you know softness and all that kind of stuff and it's actually much harder and you can't separate it from the society we're in you can't separate it from a patriarchal kind of viewpoint so i do feel like you know that when they say like oh men can't multitask it's like well you know isn't that enviable really like maybe i could say like oh i can't multitask i can only do one thing at a time what well, it's a strength it's a you know it's a very masculine thing and it's a very it's a strength to be able to only do one thing at a time <laughs> not to say that multitasking isn't a strength that's also a superpower but like how simple you know masculine modalities are much more simple i think than feminine modalities maybe because it appears to be more selfish that's why it's easier it's definitely harder on your on your body and your energy like being like i think it it has a lot of i don't know testosterone maybe or cortisol or something when you inhabit that mode yeah, but like it, more, more it driving, easier, more pushing. For sure, yeah. Because yeah. mm. uh, you say like this can't multitask. I used to say that. I used to be like, I can't multitask. So tell me what you want, done. And now actually I wouldn't because sometimes I'm painting and I'm petting my dog and I'm listening to my partner. I mean, he's offering me coffee, but I still have to listen and repeat the order thrice. So if you're listening, start writing down, man. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually given me like a like a life thing to think about. Oh, and, amazing! And I'm so grateful for that. I love that. So actually, through talking about this, that's it's made me realize something, and that is that for me, 
possibly one of the things that makes making art so hard for me and that makes making my type of art so hard for me is that I am coming at it from the point of view of being a woman and everything that that entails and actually that is it's not something I want to switch off. It's not something I want to disavow because I think that when you make personal art, you know, my art has a lot to do with being a woman. And yet it is exactly that point of view that makes it hard to do it, to do it and to also do all the other things and think all the things that I'm thinking. And actually that reminds me also of you know, something that I kind of subconsciously explore in my art is this idea of femininity. It's the idea of, you know, you could probably say that most of the art that I make are feminine faces or female faces. Even when they are quirky, even when they are raw, there's still a femininity about them. But they do raise the question of, you know, is does feminine have to be beautiful? Um, can feminine be can can raw and femininity exist at the same time can you have an open screaming mouth um can you have a open uh, you know startled eye uh, and for this still be to be read as a valid you know a, a valid feminine representation like is that allowed like I, I like i said i don't do it consciously i'm not consciously exploring those themes but i do think those themes are explored in my art yeah, I don't want like you say like is it allowed? I think a lot of people might say no, but just by the fact that you're doing it, it is allowed. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not um, waiting for permission, luckily. But can <laughs> I ask? Can I ask you? Um, how do you do you explore femininity or the kind of the, the boundaries or the or the, the the crunch points of femininity in your art at all? Would you say? Um, I would say just the the very fact that I try to paint butts because I know it's not feminine. I've been told since I was a kid, right? Talking about butt and poop all the time is not the way a lady behaves. It's funny because women have butts and they also poop. Exactly. Just as the same as men. So. But thankfully, I have a mom. <laughs> she, she, she has a lot of good butt and poop stories. So that kind of encouraged it from that side. But it's being shamed outside of your, your home, right? So then home becomes your safe space. But... The thing that I would say is uh, very clearly feminine in my art is I do have a few pieces that touch on infertility um, or chosen infertility. And I think those are the only things I would say are like clearly feminine, but they are not beautiful. I would not say uh, classically beautiful in any way. They definitely represent my body, which is something I don't see in art. So the, the breasts, just if you want to have a rundown about how I look, the breasts are huge. <laughs> the hips are huge and um the the faces aren't smiling you know they're either grumpy sad or just confused and it's dark gaping bleeding or whatever booms um and that's the only way I think I really touch on that and it's important for me because I think there's two types of see we're gonna talk about <laughs> we're gonna talk about motherhood now if you want <laughs> I think that um, infertility is a really big like topic for me because I have uh, experience with it. I'm very close to 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 that topic, and I think also this idea of uh, when you don't have children, who you actually are. So it's either people. This is my experience, okay, and it doesn't mean my experience with you. People are either very sad for you that you don't have a child, 
um, or people are very irritated with you that you do not want to have a child. It's like it doesn't seem to exist in, in any other way or form unless you meet somebody that's like you and says, oh, I understand why you chose that. Because I think biologically, it just feels like somebody's cooked, yeah, if they don't want to have kids. I think I'm I'm not answering your question, I guess, but that's that's the only way I feel that I, I challenge it. Like, you can decide not to have a kid, but still struggle with the, the decision. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And funnily enough, that is the art that resonates, I I feel, the most with my female audience. And I'm using air quotes here because I do have a lot of, uh, young boys <laughs> following my my Instagram and they like the butts and the grumpy faces mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, but I think what the thing that you've touched upon here is that you are talking about a very specific kind of feminine experience of life and representing that graphically in your art, you know, and yet it doesn't fit into that definition of what we think of as femininity and it makes me think about the fact that how funny is it that our definition in society of femininity is this really narrow view really kind of almost antiseptic view uh, and and that all of the real experiences of you know the, the the painful experiences of femininity of you know having having big breasts or big hips or not adhering to the beauty ideal about choosing to be uh choosing not to have children or about being having infertility issues or having miscarriages that all of those things are somehow firmly very feminine experience and yet do not seem to belong to this definition of femininity I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here because I haven't got, these are not thoughts that I had before we started talking, but I'm like, I'm kind of like, wow, what a discrepancy, really. You're summing it up quite nicely. You're you're making it concise enough for me to digest my own thoughts. And you're right. Um, I also think it's just the, the one thing I can say in art that seems easier to express is uh, sexual abuse that I've seen like quite a bit, but it's also very, I want to say tame. Um, and also the second part is it's not always from a woman. <laughs> I've seen like images of like sexual abuse, like somebody um, having gone through that, you know, the aftermath, basically somebody sitting in a corner and crying under the shower, but it's been painted by men. Um, that's kind of my experience. And I just, I'm not saying it's a woman's, um, it's only for women to be sexually abused, but I'm saying that those images, it's very weird, I think, when it comes from from a man, because what he's seen is uh, somebody in a movie scene sitting in the corner of the shower and crying, yeah? Um, and that's why he's representing it as such. But um, what about... And I'm talking from like our experience of, of you viewing my art. What about just the little kid that has tape over her mouth? And like, yeah. So I don't know. It's a lot to think about. I didn't think we were going to get so deep. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't think we were going to educate ourselves. We, <laughs> I thought we were educated already. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like 
this is the most difficult topic that we have tackled so far but I also feel like I've had the most insights yeah. myself so far. I haven't just been rehashing the thoughts that I already know I have. I've been having new thoughts, which is quite uh, mind-blowing. I, I find it interesting what you said about like how you see a, a man uh, making art about a subject that you kind of feel like doesn't necessarily belong to him. And I don't know if I agree with you because I feel like feelings are universal and I don't, I don't think you need to have gone through something to be able to connect to someone's feeling of something. I do definitely think that if you haven't gone through it, then there is always a part of it that you can't touch um and you know that's a privilege in a way um but um but i do feel that you know whatever whatever we see uh or consume in media even if we haven't gone through it ourselves it can always touch a part of ourselves i hope i'm gonna like do justice to what i'm about to say but like i, I think that a man can look at something and experience something in the feminine side of himself. And I also think that a woman can experience something in a more masculine uh, side of herself. So I don't think that, um, that we are precluded by our gender from having certain experiences because I mean, I think gender and the experience of gender is much more fluid anyway than like, okay, well women experience the, the, the world and feelings like this and men experience it like this. I think it's much more kind of like a dialogue. Um, I don't know. Don't slate me. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I hear you. And I also agree with you. And I also have uh, a different view and it might be because I'm a little bit cynical but I feel that um, depictions in movies and TVs about sexual assault and, and abuse and all of that stuff, number one, is extremely graphic and it's always against a woman. Like, not always, often. And I don't know if it's done to desensitize us against these things that are most definitely going to happen to us. And I'm saying that in a, in a facetious way. Or even for, for men themselves to be desensitized to it. And I feel that when I see these, these artworks for men, I most definitely am judging because I don't know everybody's history, right? It could have happened, like you said, they could have connected to it in, in the feminine aspect of themselves or they could have had somebody that went through it. But I often feel like it's for spectacle. And the reason I say that is this classic image, like I've seen so many male artists and the reason why I saw this was because I was exploring art on sexual abuse, okay? And... It's this image of a woman sitting down in a shower with long hair um, in, in the corner and there's often uh, blood or, or some, some type of plasma like running down. And I'm not saying I've never sat in the shower and had a good cry, but I'm saying, dude, I know you've seen that in a movie and I know that you've all viewed the same thing and, and I get that it's your way of expressing it, but maybe it would feel less... Um, inauthentic if you showed something different by actually maybe speaking to survivors or finding out more and what irks me is i feel that they are maybe more free to do it than we mm. are oh that's such a good point so you're basically saying like they can have a voice to express something that doesn't really belong to them whereas we don't really get that voice and sure yeah. we know that we can take it but that feels in a way almost like not right either. <laughs> it, 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 you know what? It, it comes with just so much of shit. 
Um, and I'm, I'm okay. So I'm speaking now from the point of view where I've expressed uh, sexual abuse through my art, and the reaction has been fucked up. And that means strangers that I don't know, that I will never meet, have come to me and they've said, thank you so much. I understand what you're feeling, whatever. That's been awesome because that's part of the reason why I do this. Yeah. The other part has been people coming to me with pity, you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry, but you know, you're an, okay, fine. I, I get your well-meaning, whatever. But the other part has been this thunderous silence from my my family mostly i'm not talking about my my close family i'm talking about the, there's hundreds of them and it's been a shameful experience uh, already when i was a kid and now it's like compounding shame and it feels like i'm not allowed to express that because it's it's like what are you trying to do what are you trying to say you had a happy life you had parents who protected you blah blah blah, blah. and it's like no it's no one's fault but this is what happened but if somebody tells my story so my dad telling somebody else, this is what happened to my kid and I can't believe it. Watch your kids do this. Then it's somehow more acceptable because it's coming from a man. If my brother tells the story, it's different. But when I tell the story, it's kind of like, oh no. And people just want to like run away from it. And I feel that somehow, and I don't know how, it's just easier for men to talk about our experiences of abuse than, than, than we can. And then when we talk about it, it's a natural fucking reaction for you to sometimes for your voice to tremble or for tears to fill up in your eyes. But it's like a spectacle. And for them, it's like, oh, my God, she's going to become hysterical and we're not going to know what to do. So we're either going to have to turn our faces or pretend it hasn't happened. And that's what I get when I and of course, I'm coming at it with so much of baggage when I look at these these men, menses, meners, <laughs> menzies at their art. Um, but this is something that that kind of irks me and is always kind of upsetting me when I see men depict women in art, um, especially when it's sexually explicit as well. Um, I don't understand why they have a right to to show someone with their legs splayed and, and whatever. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, but I'm saying what is different that they can do that. It's acceptable for, for them to paint a thousand prostitutes, but for us, we can't even paint ourselves or go to a prostitute and paint her. And uh, I know that's a, not the right term. I know it's sex worker. Sex worker, yes. <laughs> oh, God. Now am I going to get into trouble? I know it's sex worker and I have respect for sex workers, but that's the kind of idea. So you're talking about this double standard. But so I was thinking about anger, actually, and about how I was thinking about anger. I was also thinking about what people don't want to hear, what people don't want to know. And, you know, so it's almost like it's your job as a woman to express these things about femininity that are not um, welcomed or accepted, but they are welcomed and accepted with people who need to see it because that that's what you've experienced too, where people say, thank you so much, like that kind of thing. Uh, and I always notice it when, uh, uh, when people speak out about their experiences around um, miscarriage um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's not talked about, but when it is talked about, people are like oh yeah we do need to talk about this i'm so grateful that kind of stuff um but then you're saying that um or what it made me think of what you were saying was about how men can seem to be able to have this great uh, access to anger and have that in their art and we don't so when we choose to express and i don't just mean anger i also just mean like a 
pushiness, a graphicness, a, a shocking for shocking sake, that kind of stuff. I don't know. But can I just talk about, because I don't want to like, I don't want this episode to be like, oh, we're just like, it's terrible to be a woman and like, we've got it so hard and like, it's all easy for men. Like, I don't want it to be like that. Because I also have to say that although I am aware, and this might be my privilege talking totally, but it's kind of exciting to get to explore this and to push the envelope of what we can do and to actually do something more interesting. Sure, be easy. Like a, we could be a man painting, paint whatever we like, not really get criticized for it uh, in the same way that women do, um, you know, graphic, poop, art, whatever. But doing it as a woman actually is much more interesting because of the way society views it because of the way it feels not allowed because of all of the shit around it really um so it's harder yes but also kind of more exciting in a way to get to do this um i don't know maybe i'm just a little bit gloomy <laughs> um i do feel like that some days but some days i feel like it's just too much you know i feel like I'm not a man, number one. I'm not uh, white appearing or white at all. Uh, I'm not classically uh, beautiful. I'm like, I, I feel like all of those things add up and I'm like, oh, which fight do I have to fight today with either a stranger or a person in real life or sometimes with myself? Um, but on the days when I don't feel like I won the shittest lottery in the world, uh, <laughs> I, I do feel quite happy that, yeah, I do get to, to do this, even though I'm a woman and probably I shouldn't, and in inverted commas, it makes it more rewarding because it kind of makes me feel, um, I don't want to say superior, but like a, like a strong egg. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And personally, I feel like there is still a lot that I want to explore in terms of graphic uh, and raw art, working big, working unapologetically. And I don't know, like, I feel like on the one hand, I want to kind of embrace a more masculine energy when I do those things. And on the other hand, I also want to kind of not do that and say, no, I'm going to come at it from this other point of view, which might take a lot longer and it might make me distracted by laundry or the dishwasher more. But in the end, I'll have trodden a new path, at least for myself. Um, I don't know. I'm finding more um, that I just want balance between these two energies, having lived in one for so long and now battling on some days in the other. And it's not just black and white, right? I, I feel they're present at different times. Um, there is an, an icon um, in Hindu religion where it's a, a god that's half... Um, Shiva and half Parvati and it's just a balance of feminine and masculine and I love this image in my mind all the time and it's something I feel we are able or I am able to do uh, rather and the days when I have my best days is when I feel like my energy is balanced so I have a to-do list and I'm checking off things which I think is quite masculine um, and then the second part is oh, but I haven't done that, but it's okay to stop and just like be in the flow, you know, like this kind of water kind of feeling. And maybe that's the way I would like to forge myself forward. But what happens is I'm not there yet. I get trapped in certain ones. I, I think I'm definitely a little bit more masculine this week, 
especially based on the way that I'm talking to you now and I've been talking to other people. I'm quite aggressive to speak. Um, but yeah, um, that's kind of how I would like to do it because as you said before, it's not just about gender. Yeah, it's a, a, To me, I don't know if you said it is an energy, but to me, it definitely is an energy. We all have, you did say, we have masculine and feminine uh, within us. I don't know why my chest feels so heavy though when talking about this. It's just, I, that's why I keep on... And I don't know, it's going to sound like I have asthma to the person who's listening, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, it's not an easy subject. And to me, it actually brings up more fear about what people will think than anything else that we've discussed. Um, I feel much more open and vulnerable uh, when I talk about gender and when I talk about oppression um, than when I'm talking about, you know, creative habits or how to find inspiration or those kind of, those things, uh, sure, people might disagree or have a different view, but they don't feel like, uh, they don't feel heavy. They just feel like, okay, well, if somebody disagrees, that's fine. But, and, and in this case, again, if somebody disagrees, that's fine, but I'm much more scared of, people being angry with me, I guess, for my opinion. People's anger doesn't scare me when it comes to like, you know, I call that color orange and you call it red. Like, I don't care. But when it comes to these kind of things, I feel like I have a lot more fear about speaking out as a woman, um, talking about this kind of stuff. For me, like, as you said, like earlier, it's political, whatever, like all the things we've touched on now, they're very unfortunately polarizing subjects oh they are yes and i think maybe that's why it feels a little bit heavy for me because i feel like i've been on one side for so long that sometimes i just don't want to be the person that's like saying here's a side and here's a side i just want us to kind of <laughs> live in a basket together and eat bread i don't know what kind of metaphor or analogy that is and I, I don't I don't know if my memory is bad or if I've just not had enough experience in this world, but I don't feel like things were always so polarizing and it just might be, you know, like my my curmudgeon opinion. Oh, I don't know. It probably has to, has to do with the immediacy of the internet as well. Like everybody is allowed to, or everybody can have an opinion uh, and, and express it so easily um, and, and, and disagree so immediately. Um, I think that makes it feel a little bit more brash and harsh and attacking than it might have done in the past. But I think those feelings of like, what will someone think of me? What will someone disagree with my opinion? Will they think I'm bad? I mean, those are the kind of things that have often controlled my life or influenced my life even before the internet. So, um, because yes, yes, dear listeners, I do come from a time of before the internet. When you were using, uh, what, stones? Oh, as in like back in the stone ages? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh -huh. That time. <laughs> um, I, it kind of just hit me as you were saying that is, um, you, as I said to my partner the other day, you know what my problem is? And he looked at me like, like with shock. And, and he's like, yes, I know, but you tell me first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I view myself as the person that needs to, to either break or enforce stereotypes and when I talk about these subjects, I don't want to come across as the angry, bitter um, bitch. 
I want, to, I don't want someone to say, oh, do you see that all people of color still have a chip on their shoulders? Or, oh, do you see women that don't have children? Like, this is how they think. I Yeah, what I a burden. Like, what a burden for but you. But also, how it's quite egotistical in a way, because, I mean, there's nothing I could ever do, ever, that would change somebody's mind that is actually made up, except if I... I think if somebody gets to know me and sometimes it, it's a lot of factors that have to change someone's mind. But by me being the best example ever, as I've learned from experience, it doesn't mean I change the stereotype. It just makes me one of the good ones. Um, oh, you speak English well for a... So, um, yeah. And I think that's what it is because I feel like I don't want people to now start viewing anybody that looks like me or sounds like me remotely as having the same or similar opinions, but I cannot do that and I cannot control it. So now I have no more stress. That is a burden because it's the burden of not having privilege because I don't have to worry about the, the only way in which I have to worry about that is as a woman, but I don't have to worry about that as a person of color because I pass. So it's like, it's a burden that you shouldn't have. And yet you have, because all of a sudden you're representative of everyone that looks like you. And it's, it's terrible. May I say that? That is just like, that's, it's not right. I mean, it is, the, it, it is that way, but it's not right. Well, what about eating uh, noodles with a spoon? <laughs> well, eating noodles with a spoon is just practically very hard. I don't have, I don't have a moral opinion about it. It's just, you know. I, I've seen you eat noodles with a spoon, yeah? Or am I must taking you no, for something like, else? No, I... Okay, so when you see in my vlogs, okay, let's let's move into the lighthearted portion of this podcast. When you see my noodles in my vlog, there will be a spoon in the bowl, and the spoon is for eating the soup. Oh, okay. The chopsticks are for eating the noodles. However, you know, I also just put the bowl to my face and slurp the soup. So you know, I don't when, know. Like, if you're gonna judge me for anything in this podcast, let it be the way that I eat my noodles. <laughs> when I first said that to you, and you were like, "What's wrong with eating uh, noodles with a spoon?" I was just like, oh, "Okay." And I said to my partner, "You know, no, I, no, no. I, I definitely think you shouldn't eat noodles with a spoon. I'm just saying that, like, if you do choose to do that, it's a little <laughs> bit foolish because it is very hard to eat noodles with a spoon." Well, I will have you know that my partner eats noodles with a spoon. He eats all pasta with a spoon, so maybe it's not as hard as you think it is. Iris. Oh, maybe. Well, he is obviously a very skilled individual. Yeah. Well, he's a man, so surely he's better at everything. <laughs> Oh, excellent, excellent. So how do we uh, wrap up this podcast? I don't know, except saying I have a suggestion for anybody that wants uh, to be a dirty feminist. Uh, no, um, if somebody wants to explore like topics about uh, womanhood and art specifically, um, that Gorilla Girls is an awesome kind of movement to not get involved in, but just explore. Okay, um, Gorilla Girls. Yeah, so Gorilla as in not... That's not the sound that gorillas make. Um, oh, Gorilla as in G-U-E. G -U -E, yeah, okay. R -R -I yeah. And there's a lot of things. Um, I think they've been kind of influential with me understanding um, things on value and money and also misrepresentation in the art world. Uh, but I don't have a good sum up. I just have a suggestion, as always. All all the suggestions, but none of the... Yeah, well, no, that's good. And also, I think that 
you know, we've explored lots of topics, but at the end of the day, if you're listening and you feel like you have art inside you that isn't coming out because of feeling oppressed, repressed, uh, or in any way worried about what other people think um, or what they might say or, or what, how they might disagree, I just want to explicitly say that if it helps me and Tamara give you permission to explore those things. And it's kind of like, it brings me back to when we were doing our coaching together and you said, I want to, I want to paint penises. And I said, yeah, well, if you want to paint penises, then you should. It's the kind of the luck of encountering someone who doesn't give you the reaction that you think they're going to give you. They're not going to go like, oh, no, 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 the world doesn't want that. No, don't do that. I'll oh, just, you know, like, oh, you can you can do that, but maybe don't post it on the internet, you know? Um, or you can do that, but don't tell anybody about it. Or maybe just like, best of all, don't do it at all. You know, no, actually, if you want to paint something, then paint it. If you have the, the means to do it or the plans to do it, I think also invest in the person that would actually give you those permissions, especially if you know that you need more than just a simple permission on a podcast. And one of the best things I've ever done for, for my art life, for, for, for everything, was just connecting with you and taking you on as a coach because you opened up a world that would never have opened up to me. Um, and yes, of course, I was willing but you were also very patient, very practical. And also you did not push your agenda onto me. Um, and if anybody feels like they need such services, www.com. Oh, this Iris. is so embarrassing. Like, it's like hashtag not sponsored. I mean, you're all going to think that I like gave her this script and said, you like, I'm blackmailing her, obviously. Like, you need to say this. Otherwise, I'm going to expose your penis paintings okay ira so now that i said it um can you just let me go <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding it is definitely not sponsored and i would not tell you to do something that i do not think is awesome and uh oh, yeah. i appreciate that a lot cool and mostly i'm just I'm, I'm happy that it allowed you to make the art that you wanted to make because i think yeah just bringing it back to art like i have so much art still inside me and i'm sure you do too and the it's art that i can't quite reach yet but it's conversations like these that make me and and seeing other artists female artists specifically being brave and putting out that art uh, that does look not adhering to that beauty ideal or whatever uh, and that is more expressive and more dark and that shows an, another side of femininity and another side of the things that we really that we experience and that we need to express and that we need to see expressed because we need to see the examples um that is just that's so important and i just want to mention one artist that comes to mind which is uh, Sherry McDonald. Uh, she explores, I think, childhood abuse in her art as well. Uh, and she does these amazingly kind of emotive faces. And I love her art. And like, she is one of those people to me who is leading by example of, you know, showing that kind of art. I will um, definitely check out Sherry McDonald. Mm. Does she have a farm? <laughs> does she have a farm? Um, I think you've summed it up much better than I ever could. But something that's just running through my head is we need softness and cuteness. We oh, need yeah, realism we do. and abstract. But we also need like stupid graphic and raw. We need mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. Yeah, we need everything. And we need everyone to feel free to, ha to do 
that. To do everything or do what yeah. you want. Yeah, exactly. So that if somebody is painting pretty girls and flowers and, and, and birds and whatever, that is because they choose to, not because they feel like they have to. And we all said amen. Thank you so much for listening to this fourth episode of our podcast, Women Who Art Too Much. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that we haven't put you off. Uh, we want to wish you a super creative, thoughtful and positive week and or month or year or just like life. And let's take it into the key takeaways where we neatly sum up all the things that we just talked about. Number one, as women, we often get the implicit or explicit message that we are too much, like too loud, too fat, too angry, too hairy. Carrying this with us permeates what we do and how we perceive ourselves, including our art or our potential art. Number two, women often paint pretty subjects. Why is that? Is it a choice or a feeling of obligation to fulfill a feminine beauty ideal? Number three, Paint what makes you happy, but also analyze why you're doing it. Number four, making art, whether pretty, raw, or anything else, is vulnerable, and it's natural to worry about people's response to it. Number five, the concept of badness often gets conflated with ugliness, which adds a further barrier to exploring ugly art or a sense of shame when our art is accidentally ugly. Number six, how society views the value of our labor and specifically focuses on unpaid domestic labor as the domain of women can influence how seriously we take ourselves. Prioritize making art over loading the dishwasher. Number seven. We can explore the boundaries of femininity and question why certain expressions seem to be excluded from existing within femininity. Number eight. Feminine and masculine energies or approaches are not necessarily gender specific. Number nine, incorporating our lived experiences into our art is often political and therefore potentially polarizing. Having that voice and using it is exciting, but also scary. Number 10, if you want to explore topics about womanhood and art, check out Guerrilla Girls, spelled G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A. They are an anonymous group of feminist female artists devoted to fighting sexism and racism within the art world. Number 11. Seek out people who encourage you to make the art you want to make. Don't seek out or listen to the naysayers. And finally, number 12. We need softness and cuteness, but we also need stupid and graphic and raw, and we need everyone to feel free to make the art they want. Mm -hmm.